When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, I'm Craig Ellingson, sports editor at the Edmonton Journal. This is our Oilers podcast for February 27th, 2015. With me are Oilers hockey writer, Jim Matson. Hi, Maddie. Hi there. Uh, hockey writer, Joe Ireland. Morning. And John McKinnon, our sports columnist. Morning. Oh, we're just days away, hours away. Well, what, 72 hours away from our trade deadline here? The official and, uh, trade deadline. The official trade deadline, although there's been plenty of action this week uh, in terms of who's been moving where. But still a member of the Edmonton Oilers is Jeff Petrie, defenseman who is uh, you know, the biggest trade piece that Craig McTavish has to play. Uh, and obviously with some moves this week, you know, Jeff's value is arguably, arguably shot up even more perhaps. Well, there's more teams looking for a defenseman. This, but I don't know if his value has gone up. But there's more teams interested. So Craig McTavish can maybe play one team off another. Well, wouldn't um, that increase his value? Well, it, it might. He, if he's looking for a first round draft choice because L.A. got a first round draft choice for Andre Sakara, I don't think he's getting a first round draft choice for Jeff Petrie. But, but you know, every time you get more teams involved, it's certainly. Uh, makes it more interesting. And the Oilers' history is that they always go to the bitter end on these trades. Their players tend to get tra- traded on the day of the trading deadline, not many days before, unless it's several months before, like last year when they traded Dubnik and got Scrivens and, and, and such. So it's usually right on the draft day. And I don't think Jeff Petrie will play the last game against the St. Louis Blues. All right. Well, uh, what about you, Matty? You uh, mentioned this is a potential guy to talk about, Martin Marinson. I mean, he was just called up here in the last few days and played a decent game. Well, he scored that only goal there in overtime in that long, long shootout uh, a week ago. Uh, would he be somebody we might, the Oilers might be entertaining taking offers on? Uh, in the summer, maybe. I, I'm always a little. It's always baffled me about Marinson. For the longest time, they liked him, and then suddenly they like Clefbaum and Nurse considerably more, and Marinson seems like he's the third wheel. And when he, they do talk about him, it's, you know, he's made some good plays, but there's always a but at the end of that. But he's got to be more aggressive on the buck carry. He's got to be more aggressive along the board. So those are always red flags to me that while they like him, they don't like him totally. And... He's at that point now where next year he's got to clear waivers to go to the minors, so they have to make up their mind. I think I'd be playing him every game now until the end of the season and just see what they got. And if that means having to sit out a couple of veteran defensemen from after the trading deadline, you know, a few games just to play Marinson every game, I think that's what they got to do. 
Well, now you're also talking about taking another piece out of a blue line that isn't that solid to start with. I mean, now you're talking about filling two holes with, you know, the departure of Petrie and then you're possibly moving Marinson. Now you're looking for to fill those two spots. This is not a team with a lot of depth on the blue line either. So, But but I think what happened with Marinson this year is it's definitely sort of a pivotal year for him. They moved him down back to Oklahoma City because he didn't have to clear waivers, and I think they just wanted to see if he'd respond. Not sure they got the answer yet, but as Maddie said, there's still 20 games to let him run the run the course and see what they can get out of him. He's a fourth year pro. You know, defensemen sometimes take longer to develop. Um, his play lately has been encouraging. I would suggest fairly good defensively in his own zone. I think his biggest issue, as far as I can tell, his biggest issue is actually becoming more robust yeah. physically, filling into his frame, uh, which may be a difficult thing to do. Uh, so, I mean, if they're if they're a draft and develop organization, then sometimes the development will take longer, and you got to be more patient. So we'll see. I mean, they they uh, uh, they don't have that much depth as, as Jim mentioned. So, I think the. Their frustration may not be that uh, they've sort of uh, lost patience or given up or anything, but that they they felt that he would be further along at this time. But uh, people develop the way they develop sometimes. Well, you talk about the course of development. I mean, Jeff Petrie was a guy everyone was ready to run out of town last season, and suddenly he's become this, you know, you hear this hue and cry from the from the fan base saying, why didn't they sign him? Why didn't they bring him back? If they would have signed him last year to a long-term contract after the season he'd had, they would have been saying, what the hell are they doing? So it's just, you know, I mean, he has, he's really, to his credit, he's played really well this season and he's put himself in a good position to become that commodity. But he didn't start out that way this year and he didn't start finish the season that, that way either last year. So, um, you know, it, it takes time. Is he playing for a contract? Is it? Is he finally reached that place where he's, you know, come to his full development? Or, you know, we'll find out next year, I guess. He's come to that 300-game plateau, okay. which, which most of the the scouts seem to think is, is the yardstick. Once you've played 300 games, and they get a better feel for what kind of defenseman you are. And he's, I think he's played 296 now. Mm-hmm. So he's, you know, within four games. And if you finally got to 300, and they're going to trade him so I think another player to, another defenseman to put in the mix is uh, Jordan Osterley who obviously played very well in his first game against Anaheim and he'll get some games now too just to see if he's has elevated himself above the other developmental defensemen on the farm team um, you know from now until the end of the year and they'll get a better read on him going into next season yeah and I think the big question for him is going to be whether he can hold up physically in the NHL. I mean, he's not a big player. Um, you talk about Marinson not filling out. I mean, Australia's not broad, nor is he high. So, um, you know, that's going to, I think, it'll be interesting to see how he sort of holds himself up in the next, uh, in this last stretch. And one guy we never hear much about at all is young uh, Joey Lalegia, who's down there in Denver, finishing off his career, leading his league in scoring, not defenseman, leading the league in scoring, I think. And, uh, He's uh, compared to uh, Tory Krug with Boston. I mean, he seems to be a very capable offensive player, uh, Vancouver kid. Um, I mean, maybe he figures in their plans. I have no idea. He's in there now, you know, gunning for the playoffs down there, so he could be quite busy for the next little while. Well, they'll sign him, you would think, in the summer. I mean, he's draft, you know, probably sign him in the summer. He's a good friend of Ryan Nugent Hopkins, yeah. so... Um, 
he's about the same size as Brad Hunt, from what I understand. So yeah, he's not a big kid. He's not a big kid either, but I think there's room for small defensemen in today's NHL. Yeah, the, but the, the issue, they, they do have some options that maybe we don't hear about as much as uh, as others. And the Petrie obsession, I mean, look, I, I like Jeff Petrie. He's a, he's a good player. He's a good 200-foot like, player when he's on his game. And um, uh, my sense is that, the, the, I mean, obviously he's, he's going to test free agency. Good for him. Um, but, the, you know, he's not the be-all and end-all of defensemen in this world. I mean, uh, if, they're, if their rebuild depends on Jeff Petrie, <laughs> something's wrong. Uh, so I mean, you know, and then presumably as as a guy like Nurse comes on stream and uh, as Cluffbaum matures, that the, they would surpass him at any rate. So if he were, were he still here, which of course he won't be. I think they thought Marinson would be able to replace Petrie. You know, a guy with some offensive ability, not great offensive ability in the pros. And I think that's what they felt you know, all, all along. If, if Petrie left, and Marinson could maybe replace him. Marinson's still on the fence, as far as they're concerned. I think. Now, along with Benoit Pouliot, who scored those two goals, the only two goals for the Oilers in that win over Minnesota on Tuesday, Ben Scrivens made a difference in that game. As you know, we can say he stole the game. Uh, arguably, that's the first time this season he played like that. Was the was the difference in a in a victory for the Oilers? Uh, I would say so. I think he had a couple of games in that streak in October where he beat some teams too. That uh, I think he shut out the Montreal Canadiens, did he not? Um, so he's had some games, but you know the, the the better teams and the Edmonton Oilers they get quite a few games like that where they have off nights and the goalie plays really well and they win the hockey game. So I think that was the first time I can recall. You know the Oilers playing a very poor game. You know about the last forty minutes. And then they win, won the game anyway because Scrivens made all the saves. And, you know, from the drop of the puck to the second period to the end of the game, he, he looked in firm control. And there was, wasn't a lot of shots where he went, ooh, that was one could have got in. So he was very, very good. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see if, you know, I mean, he's going to have to uh, carry the load here for the next little while. I mean, if there's some back-to-backs, we may or may not see Richard Bachman. But with Victor Faust out, and we haven't seen the white of his eyes since he got hurt so lord knows how long he'll be out but um you know ben's gonna have to 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 carry the load here and as you mentioned earlier craig he did it last season and played really well towards the stretch so or down the stretch so it'll be interesting to see how if if the regularity of starts and stuff helps his game to the point where you know he plays like he did last year when they re-signed him a lot of games against Western Conference teams that are still in the playoffs too. Yeah. After this road trip in in early March, where they play four Eastern teams and the Blackhawks. After that, it's pretty much a lot of teams that are still in the playoff race or trying to solidify their spot. So that'll be a you know usually the last week those teams have dropped out of it, but I think the Oilers have a game against you know Vancouver and Calgary and teams like that late in the season. Um, teams that are still going to be scrambling in terms of of where they are, if they're going to make the playoffs. So that'll be a, a nice barometer for Scrivens as well. And, and the team, for the most part, is playing a little better team game in front of them too, which should help his game. It's not They're not quite as uh, dysfunctional as they were earlier. I think they've sort of settled down a little bit. So that's certainly going to help him as well. Now that West-heavy uh, schedule coming up here, you know, like, like we say, a barometer 
to see where this team is at. I would imagine that's, you know, Todd Nelson's future might also hinge on how the Oilers do, and that's those stretching games coming up after the road trip. Because, uh, you know, while McTavish last week didn't uh, put a stamp of approval or anything to suggest that, yes, Nelson might very well be the head coach next year. Um, clearly, uh, that's something we're going to be looking at. Well, yeah, he's on a, a a bigger audition than all the players. I mean, he's the coach. He's supposed to be putting the players on the ice. So I think, you know, it's, the thing about after the trading deadline, however, that's when teams that are out of the playoffs often like looking at the players they've got in the minors, more of the players. Well, that just means more players you're bringing up from the minor leagues that he would know, but it's not an NHL roster either that you're trying to win with down the stretch. Either You're, look, you're looking at players to see how they do for now, for next year. So that, you know, it, it's tougher for, for Todd, but I think he's done a very nice job. And, you know, it's uh, unfortunate that one of his players from the minor leagues, Anton Lander, got hurt. And I didn't think we'd ever say it, but I think the orders miss Anton Lander right now. We Still this year, I wouldn't have said it, but uh, they miss Anton Lander right now. Although there's not many players left to call up from the American Hockey League. Well, he could call he's up got the a, Yeah, I know, but he's got the bulk of them up here already. I mean, th- that's not going to change considerably. I mean, because they could get Taylor Hall back. They could, and we may or may not see Tyler Pitlick here before the end of the season. So they're, you know, it's, they're in a little different situation because they've had a lot of call-ups already because of injuries. So, um, but, you know, I, it, it is interesting, though, the whole McTavish um, lack of, willingness to sort of tip his hat to to Todd in this whole process and part of it I mean I guess part of it's they give him the interim title to start with he's not gonna bail on it now and they really want to see what's available in the off season. but you're right I mean they have to give him a long hard look unless they completely uh, go uh, sideways here in the next little while it's interesting I mean the uh, last night the uh, Oilers had their season ticket autograph session uh, you know bowl session with the brain trust and um, at least based on a number of Twitter comments, that question came up. This, this is a deal where they, they, they meet their, at the Rexall place, and there's a player component, and then there's a uh, Q&A. And the Q&A, of course, is, is the Oilers broadcaster asking softball questions to the managers, one of which had to do with Todd Nelson. And apparently there are great discomfort uh, talking about him and the same sort of reticence to deliver uh, ringing endorsement and so forth. I believe there's a, an organizational. There was an organizational recoil uh, when they had they fired Dallas Akins, and the recoil was specifically: it's enough with these rookie head coaches. We, you know, it's enough sort of having a first timer uh, not work out. Um, and so Ralph Kruger, mistake, but they got rid of the you know rookie NHL head coach Akins, and so now comes Nelson, and so now there may be some uh, higher levels, a sense of what are we doing here. Um, and so uh, that may explain some of this stuff. The problem is, or uh, it's a problem, but the reality is that Nelson is now demonstrating he's a pretty good coach. So he may be changing some minds um, in the in the big, you know, among the big shots of the Oilers, or maybe not. Who knows? I mean, uh, to my judgment, if they go, if he finishes the season strong, having demonstrated a good rapport with his players, having begun to build something meaningful. If they then go like the dog, you know, dropping the stake to get the bigger one that's in reflecting in the water, if, if they do that, 
they will be compounding another mistake just as they've compounded many mistakes on many fronts up to now, in my in my view. I mean, that would be just, uh, I mean, who knows? Maybe the, but it, the, this is what exactly what they did to get rid of Kruger. You know, ooh, they had a, talked with Dallas Akins. Well, oh, my God, this guy's so brilliant. We better sign him up right now. Well, how did that work out? Um, so to make that mistake twice, uh, and it wouldn't be out of character for their organization. But I, I, I don't like the, I don't like the the way that might play out. Well, I would hope that Nelson's judged not solely just on wins and losses either. I mean, he's got Yakubov playing a game we haven't seen for a long time. Anton Landers' resurgence can be tied to his call up came around the same time Todd was hired. So that you know, I don't think you can sort of dispute that there was some influence there with with Lander and the team's playing a grittier game and like that's a you know for a team that's out of the playoffs it's got nothing to play with and yet they're going out and playing with that a little bit more will than we've seen in a while I think that has to be factored in it's interesting though you mentioned that because they had two veteran coaches on their staff already and if it was an issue why wouldn't they have looked at you know given the job to Ramsey or to to um Atkin, or, Atkin, Keith, uh, Keith Acton, sorry, um, you know, as, a, as opposed to bringing Todd up. I mean, they've, you know, it's, it'll be interesting, as you say, to see how that plays out. And I think, I think you, when you have a farm team coach, I think you're always looking for that guy who becomes Jack Capuano or somebody like that, and I'm just throwing him out there, but he was, you know, the Islanders, you know, had him in their organization, and then he brought him up, and people were going, Jack Capuano, and then he struggled for a while, and now he looks like he's a pretty good coach, and so, and he is a good coach, so I think there's always the the feeling and the hope that you can, your coach has coached your farm team the way you want to be, your players to be coached, and he becomes your head coach, and so that's the natural progression, and that will be the natural progression in Detroit if Mike Babcock leaves, because they'll bring up their farm team coach, Jeff Blaschel, who's in Grand Rapids, because he coaches the same style, and, and he's coached most a lot of their players to Detroit. So I think that's always a, always I think that's always the goal of a, of a hockey team is to get your guy in the minors to coach the right way, and then he becomes your, your NHL coach as well. It's rare, though. If you look yeah. at the roster of coaches in the National Hockey League, and connect them with, you know, where was their previous job? It, I think basically 23 or so, or 24 out of 20 to 30, their previous job was not the minor league coach of the team they're currently coaching. Some of them uh, had coached, Claude Julien coached uh, Hamilton. It was a split with Edmonton, Montreal team. Later he coached Montreal. And then he got fired, of course. Um, and there have been coaches who coached, who made that, that um Dan Bilesma. Dan Bilesma. Right. Yeah. But but it's, it's, it's unusual. And, uh, there are other coaches. Um, Willie Desjardins is another guy who coached Dallas's farm club, I believe, before he coached Vancouver in the National Hockey League. So, I mean, he was AHL, NHL in that sense. But uh, usually the teams are looking for the best coach available who's already got NHL experience. And uh, the, the, it's, it's not a linear deal normally. It sometimes happens. I mean, but, but it's, it's, it happens far less frequently than you might think, which, which seems unusual. I agree yeah. with that, that you would think it would make more sense. Like when, when Dallas hired Ken Hitchcock, he co- was coaching their minor league team, and they brought him in to coach the Dallas Stars, and it turned out well. But yeah, I agree with John totally. They, they tend to discount most teams what their farm team coach has done because there's a bigger name yes. who's coached an NHL team somewhere else that we should hire. 
and that's what often happens. And there's also some, you know, recalibration. You know, coaches, you know, teams bringing back coaches they had before, or you know, so like you know, Montreal, you know. Well, I can't help but think about Lindy Ruff in Dallas. Yeah. They had Willie Desjardins as their coach. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So I mean, it's. I mean, in Todd's case, I think he's done a, a very good job. I think the players like playing for him, which is half the battle. I think if the players respect the coach and like playing for him and listen to what he says, I think, you know, eventually you're going to get better players listening to what the coach says, and they're going to be win- winning more games. Well, thanks, everybody. We'll, we'll leave it at that for this podcast. Thank uh, you. Thank you. All right.